Fighting Irish fans, this is Joshua Voles, and you are listening to the One Foot Down podcast. Hey, tonight we have uh, quite a few people. We have, I think, all the editors uh, uh, from the website on tonight. It's uh, Brad Wechter. Say hello. Hello. Very nice. Jude Seymour. <laughs> Evening, everyone. And all the way from a work function, Pat Rick, Pat Sullivan. Yo, what's up? All right, so we promised you guys we were going to do this weekly, and um, so we're going to stick to that. And this is uh, going to be actually the first um, podcast on the new SB Nation podcast network. So um, we just went from uh, assy to classy, <laughs> so, so to speak. So if you hear uh, ad, it's it, this still is our podcast. Um, what those are going to happen now so just a, a a fair warning if you will all right so national signing days just uh right behind us and we are probably the last podcast to talk about it uh which is cool because look nothing changed at all from december uh if you believe the fosky story which you should because that's the that he's actually signed in december and then wasn't gonna make a public until now uh and that's the basic storyline from everybody um then the literally the class has not changed so i think everything that we've talked about on the website um you know we've pretty much covered it so we're, but we're gonna just talk about it a little bit here so um Jude, let me get your thoughts here you know what do you think of the class overall um and i i guess i guess more or less what i'm looking you know i think they're ranked 15th uh on the 24 7 composite i have to take another look but um that's getting getting kind of a little bit of a backlash from fans for whatever reason, um, and, but they're like Clemson like comes to our <laughs> to our aid with their not so top five recruiting classes. Do you, you think any of this makes a difference? And you know, just your general thoughts on the class itself. I guess I would caution people to um, look at these numbers and then try to also compare them year to year. Um, you, you got to remember that, uh, different classes, you know, we sign, we sign, uh, different numbers of people. It tends to be about 22 or 23 people. I think it's been as low as 17 during the Brian Kelly era. I think that was um, in 2012. Yeah. And so these numbers kind of fluctuate with how many people you sign and, 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 and also, you know, the recruiting services, I, I think that's going to be, you know, one of the, my questions to the group is there seems to be some real discrepancies between uh, among some of these players that the Notre Dame picked up between uh, between the the two major recruiting services. And so, um, you know, nobody has a crystal ball, uh, excuse the pun, but, um, you know, they try their best to kind of predict where, uh, where these uh, where they're where they're going. So um, in terms of in terms of my impressions of the class, I, you know, I think it was I think it was a good class. I think it, they picked up a lot what they needed. Um, you know, do I still uh, scratch my head and wonder why they can't pick up a, a five-star running back? Absolutely. Um, do am I glad that they have moved away from Florida, considering all it's done is is give some headaches uh, a little bit? But you know, there's still some great uh, talent out in Florida, and they'll probably have to recommit themselves a little bit more to it in uh, 2019 and, be and beyond. But um, 
you know, I, I look at it in the hole and just say, uh, it's great. And I think, you know, just from Kyle Hamilton on down, it's going to be a, a pretty, a pretty solid addition. Okay. Hey, Pat, let me, let me get your thoughts on this. You've been fairly quiet um, on that front. Uh, you know, what's going on. Do you know what's happening here? Um, <laughs> uh, just your thoughts in the class. I mean, it could be anything. What do you think they're, what do you think they're adding that uh, that's good? What do you think that's adding that's a little bit questionable? Um, you know, are there some great, is there a na- particular name that stands out to you? Uh, you know, just let's hear it. Yeah, I mean, the name thing, first and foremost, is what I was going to talk about. Uh, Litchfield Ajavon. I don't know how, if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, but that, that name is sensational. Litchfield? Like, come on. Um, and did you see what he was wearing the – when they did the, fa- the FaceTime thing back in December. His, oh, name's, his name's Litchfield. He looks 40. And he was basically wearing like a like a Cosby-style Notre Dame sweater. It was yeah. perfect. I mean, everything about it was perfect. Yeah, he's, he's easily my favorite player in this class already. Not just because the name <laughs> and the style and the fact that he's a grown man. But, like, everyone talks about Kyle Hamilton, and rightfully so. Like, the kid's a freak. He's going to be great. But – Litchfield looks like he's also going to be a hell of a safety. And I think people are sleeping on him despite the fact that he's like, you know, a four star, highly rated guy. But just because of Hamilton being in the class, no one's really talking about him. Um, and really, just in general, I think the defensive haul here was really good. Um, they got a couple four star corners. Obviously, the safety position looks great. Um, they got, they got Nana Osafa Mensa, which is a name I need to memorize. I just read it off the screen. Amazing name also, and he just looks like a great pass rusher. So I'm happy about that because, you know, they're going to be losing all their pass rushing talent next year. So they got to bring that in. Um, Offensive line, really good as well. You know, four really good guys. Zeke Carell looks like he's going to be another, like, nasty Quentin Nelson light kind of guy. Yeah, like like Jude said, one thing that really concerns me is, is running back. I mean, Kyron Williams I think will be a solid guy. But I don't see him uh, – there, there's no Dexter Williams kind of talent on this roster now, and that's scary because there's right. no one to break, it, break loose. And then um, wide receiver is also a little concerning. They brought in a pretty good class last last year, so I'm not too worried about it. But just two guys, one of them probably going to end up at running back, or at least that's, I think, what the news was there. Um, so not, not a lot of top-flight skill position talent on offense, which is a little concerning. Yeah, you know, that's uh, I, I, I'm kind of wondering what's happening, not just a running back, but really across the board on the offensive um, side for recruiting. You, you know, you when you think about, you know, Notre Dame in the recent past, even, you know, guys like, you know, like Will Fuller and, and uh, you know, CJ Proceis, you know, who's actually recruited, I think, maybe as a slash athlete, you know, safety, wide receiver, we'd running yeah. back. But they're just – there is a bit of a definite lack of, of you know, speed skill. But I guess, I, mean, I, I guess at the same time, there should be some freshmen sitting there, but they can't seem to get on the field, like, at all. Um, so, you know, I don't know. Maybe, so maybe I, uh, you know, overstepped saying that a little bit. But this class itself, in general, there's not, there's not a kid on here like, you know, like a Lindsey um, who's running track, you know, blazing speeds. or So you have some right. hope for it. You know, just feed him a couple cheeseburgers, why don't you? Um, I mean, I mean, come on, the wind blows and something. 
Uh, so, so yeah, I, I totally agree with you there, Brad. What, just get uh, just get your general thoughts here. Sure. Well, um, I mean, I think it's interesting that you brought up the fact that there is, in fact, a running back in this class, and he is a four-star uh, recruit. And and we say things like, well, we can't go get the five-star recruit at running back like there isn't a four-star running back in this class. And there isn't, you know, the other thing we touched on was guys who come in as athletes. And, you know, that's always really interesting to me where the athletes end up. So you look at Kendall Abdurrahman, who's uh, a three-star, but like you say, I mean, CJ Procise was recruited on the defensive end. He even played safety, I think, for before also, switching also over to yeah, also a three star. Switched over to wide receiver for a year, uh, and then ended up being a great running back for Notre Dame. It's always interesting for me to see where these guys end up, like what their roles end up being and what their path looks like. Because I'm thinking, like you know, a lot of people when we talk about the recruiting classes will say like we don't get the five stars, but then we also write the articles that say, look where the five stars ended up and who disappointed and, and who didn't develop the way we thought. And then we also can flip the script a little bit and look at guys like Procise or Tyler Eifert or, or guys like that, that came in as three stars and ended up being, you know, NFL caliber talent. So I'm always sitting here again. I'm like I said last week, the eternal optimist thinking maybe there's a name here. Maybe, maybe, uh, you know, maybe the four-star running back, Kyron Williams, will end up being the next Josh Adams. I don't know. So I'm, I'm always looking at sort of what we're going to get from those guys and trying to be optimistic. And I think there's a couple guys like Kyron Williams and um, Kendall Abdur-Rahman who, who could be that person. Yeah, you know, I, and I wrote, to, uh, uh, wrote a little story. It, it was based off of a, of a tidbit that uh, Tim O'Malley from Irish Hillshire dropped about Rodman moving to uh, possibly moving to, or to running back. Mm-hmm. And since that time, I think um, uh, uh, Carter, uh, oh, the, the, the guy, uh, the kid from um, on the South Bend Tribune. Uh, Carter Carroll. Thank you. Thank you, Jude. Uh, sorry about that, man. Uh, but uh, he, he said he talked to him, and uh, that would be news to him apparently <laughs> um but but uh that may not be news to the staff i think uh you know this isn't the same staff as what brian kelly came to notre dame with but i think for the most part there's been a pretty strong willingness um on from brian kelly and whoever working under him to try to find better fits for these guys more so than we saw in the recent past with you know with weiss willingham and and I, I guess Davey to an extent, um, much more like um, Holtz. You know, Holtz would go out and recruit a bunch of running backs and then make half of them uh, defensive backs. So I, I definitely think there's there's some possibilities here. I mean, like, look at what happened with, uh, you know, Kavari Russell. Yep. He, he was recruited as a running back. Um, he was a running back to everyone that he was re- getting re- recruited by to be a slot. Then you come in and you make him a corner and he's starting from day one. Um you know, so, you know, and that's just one example of, you know, some of the moons precise was, you know, another one, Jafar Armstrong is, is one that's uh, another one. So there's, there's definitely some moves that can be made. Um, I guess my main concern with five stars is like, all right, we're, t- we're talking about this, uh, like the elite, you know, like wide receivers, running backs, you know, why are, why are we getting those? And, you know, what, okay, what about the five star offensive linemen? <laughs> you know, if we're, and 
I, lo- I love the linemen that we're getting. Don't get me wrong. But uh, it's, it's funny how that isn't talked about. Just because do you think that's, that, uh, that narrative is because our linemen have produced pretty well and not only produced pretty well, but have gone on to, you know, be high NFL draft picks and do well in the NFL on top of that. Where, you know, I don't think any of them were, you know, a lot of these guys, Quentin Nelson was rated as a five star on rivals, but everywhere else he was a four. Um, but you would, I would think like the bigger argument is why aren't you getting five star offensive linemen if your offensive line has been so solid for all these years, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I'm also a big believer of, I think the staff gets who they want versus just guys like us saying, you know, the only thing I'm going to look at is stars and I'm going to go after the guy with five stars because he's got five stars versus, you know, the recruiting staffs are, are in the homes of these kids and talking to these kids and talking to their parents and figuring right. out who they're looking for and who fits what they're looking for in their strategy. And I think that's something we really don't, uh, don't have a whole lot of insight into. Yeah. I think the, just the whole, the whole evolution of recruiting for Notre Dame and really across the country, you know, has been going on, especially with, with the new early signing period and all that, you're seeing a lot of differences, but you know, one of the ones that was one of the most talked about for Notre Dame was, was somebody already mentioned it tonight was, you know, getting out of Florida and they wanted to concentrate more on, you know, Georgia and Texas. And that was really evident, you know, this season or the, or this last cycle, I think there was only nine offers to, um, uh, in the sunshine state. Whereas Georgia had like 23, Texas 24, California 33, which personally, I just wish we would get out of California pretty much all together. Um, but that's for another day. Um, but it, that's a huge shift. I mean, Florida offer wise, years prior, you're talking, you know, 34, 28, 27. I mean, there's a bigger chunk of offers. So they took, they did do a massive shift. But I'm looking at offers right now for 2020, and you know they're back to they're up to nine already, with about maybe about half their offers out. So I wonder if that's going to change. And I think that that'd be the tied for the third most, um, and it's right behind Texas at 14 and California at 12. And I guess I'm I'm just trying to figure out and trying to think what you know the, why that why that has to be the way it is. I mean, was Dexter Williams that much of a problem? Because all the problems that he presented, I would still take the end results that he gave. Uh, Tavon uh, Cody is the same way. I think they were caught up in the same incident. And uh, uh, Kevin Patterson. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your service. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, really, I mean, uh, you know, Stefferson was a huge boost last year to the offense. Uh, it definitely when you needed him. Uh, also a tremendous headache good luck good luck to you kevin i hope i wish all the best for you no i just i i just wonder if it's just if it just seems like the easy way out uh to use those to use a case like stefferson to you know to not go down there because those are some serious battles those are hard battles the only one that that seems like you're on even footing at all is the kids at img because they're not all you know, Florida kids. So you have some, you know, some differences there, but you're also battling just about everybody in the country, uh, you know, for IMG kids. So I don't know. I, I, I understand what's, ha- what's happening and all that, but at some point, 
you just you just have to. I, I I don't think you can bail as much as they have. There's just too much talent in that state, and I, uh, I think that's I think that's fair. And I think that maybe maybe there was an overcorrection, and now there will be a, a reversion. Thank you. That was the word I was looking for. Yeah, I think there'll be a reversion to the mean. I, I I don't I don't see them giving up on Florida. I, I I'm I'm I love that they're doing inroads in Georgia. I mean, one of the first pieces I wrote for One Foot Down was the struggles that they had recruiting in Georgia and Louisiana. And, and, and you were shot was, down by those that would that would later. Yeah, let me talk about that. You were <laughs> shot down about recruiting in Georgia and Louisiana, and then those same people that shot you down, not just readers but actual writers out there ended up kind of praising Brian Kelly for, for that focus a couple of years later. I mean, like, it, duh, it made sense. So how do you feel, Jude? I mean, you... <laughs> I mean, it just, <laughs> it, it, I, fe- I felt like the point was made and, and it wasn't that the, the staff was listening to me. It, it was just like, you know, there, there was always talent in Georgia and Louisiana. It was just, it was finding the right recruiter who could recruit those areas. And, uh, and they had a little bit of, you know, there's a certain kind of personality that you need to recruit uh, Louisiana, and there's a certain kind of um, a thing you need to have to, to recruit Georgia. And and I think that they figured out the Georgia piece, and they're still working on the Louisiana piece. You know, well, I think the interesting thing about Louisiana, you mentioned it. You know, as for although it is a, a southern state, it's a very Catholic state, um, at, at least one of the more Catholic states in the South. So, and I. It does, that definitely doesn't mean nearly as much as it meant 30 years ago, let alone 40, 50 years ago. But it's still, there's still a, like a lifestyle, like a familiarity that, that these kids have with what they went through in high school to what Notre Dame offers that I think makes a, makes a huge difference to at least you know, being introduced to them. Um, and I, I know, think there's so. something to be said about the fact that, you know, for the longest time, especially when Les Miles was there, Louisiana was the only Louis, LSU was the only state that you or the only school you'd really consider if you're from Louisiana. Now it's it's still a draw. I mean, if you want to play in the SDC and you're from Louisiana, I mean, that's one one of the schools you definitely look at. Um, but I think it's it's a chokehold on the state has has been loosened a little bit with the with some of the uh, the lesser seasons that have been turned on. Well, I think A&M has made some inroads in Louisiana, too. I could be wrong, but I think exactly what you said, that those kids are growing up in hardcore SEC country, but there's only one SEC school in state. And this, you go one state, you're looking for quality programs around. You know, next one over, you got A&M. I think, that, I think they have made some pretty decent inroads uh, over there in the, uh, in the boot state of Louisiana. And, I mean, it's almost like there was a really – a uh, good coach at LSU who moved on to a really other good program uh, one state over. Who's at- <laughs> so, you know, I'm sure that helps too, right? I I could I I'm only laughing because I can't remember the guy's name. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Saban. <laughs> oh, I, you know, I can't I, I can't believe I wouldn't forget would remember that. So, uh, um, I had another point to make about uh, about Florida, but uh, well, I forgot it, so let's move on. Um, so I looking at, you know, our, I, 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 I'm surprised that we're still seeing, and maybe I should be because it's the internet, but there's still a lot of fans out there that are, that are really dropping some BS considering like the gray shirt stuff. And even on our own site, like people are still, which I would think our commenters would be a little more informed because we talk about it quite a bit. You know, there's people that are still kind of like turned off by this, whole, by the whole thing with, with Louis and, 
and you know and all that. This, I and I and all I can say, I guess, is I really applaud the staff for what they've done, not just this cycle, but last, you know, last cycle. You know, and I've said it countless times is that you know in years past they wouldn't have been as aggressive as they've been, and what changes they've made, you know, I can tell you for certain, but it seems they have a better grasp on what the players on the roster are going to end up doing. Um, you know, just case in point, this, you know, this cycle, I, they had room for Turner and for Foskey and, you know, Foskey was already in. So they had room for like one extra more and, you know, we're without Turner, we're still sitting at like two over. So there's, there's something that, so there's going to be some news happening at some point. They know something that nobody else knows right now, but I think in years past, they, they, they didn't get, they didn't try to get that out of them as much. Maybe, I, you know, I don't know where, where the, the classes were always falling a little bit flat on the end, or maybe there's just, they, they were putting too many eggs in one basket towards signing day. Um, but really, I mean, we're looking at two years now in a row, most likely sitting at 85 come spring. And that, that has everything to do with what they're doing on the recruiting trail. So you guys got any thoughts on that, Pat, about, you know, about going out there and, I mean, do you think they're overreaching on a, on on a few recruits to help them get to that eighty five? Because I, I to me, I feel that's important to have. Um, we stated, in, in, I don't know if it was the last podcast or the one before that about because because of the student body at Notre Dame, because of the the small size, the walk on program, as glorified as it is, and in, in Rudy and and you know and all that isn't quite the walk on program of a of a school like you know Alabama or you know, or Florida State or Ohio State. Um, you know, what are your general thoughts on, you know, all that? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's getting pretty overblown. Like, first of all, the gray shirting thing, it sounds like they've been very upfront with guys in this class about, you know, you'll have to be a preferred walk-on or you'll have to gray shirt. Like, they, they chose that. So I, I'm not really worried about that. And then in terms of, like, overreaching or, you know, recruiting to have more than 85 – uh, at this point like that again to me everyone was really complaining last few years about how they never had 85 on the roster and they needed to account for the fact that they were going to have attrition and like that was the issue and then all of a sudden they're doing this now and people are like oh that's not great they're over recruiting blah 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 like to me it's just like people are going to be complaining about something with recruiting regardless um <laughs> but i i will say it's a fine line the coaches are walking right now because to get to 85, they're going to have to have some tough conversations with some players about, hey, you probably won't be playing, blah, blah, blah. And it's they have to be careful not to get to a point where they're going to be like one of these football factories actually pushing kids out. And obviously I know that's part of it, but they did offer these kids a four-year scholarship to play there. So – I just hope that it doesn't ever get to that point. I don't think they're doing that, honestly. But as they do this more and more, they're going to have tough situations with numbers, and I don't want that to ever lead to a kid having to leave the school because he feels like he needs to. Right, and I think, you know, you're an alum, Jude's an alum, and hey, and Brad's uh, getting his master's there right now. So, That's right. You, know, you know, and I, I think alums for Notre Dame are very – protective and very, you know, and they hold on to a lot of the ideals that, you know, about from the university in that football standpoint, you know, where, 
you want them to do it the right way. No one really, you know, and all that. And the right way, I believe, for Notre Dame and for the fans and alumni is, you're right, we've always touted these are four-year scholarships. In the recruiting process, mm-hmm. that's, that was a big sell because I think I think there's been some rule changes within some conferences over on that. But, you know, for a while, it was just like, yeah, these are year-to-year, you know. So, you know, a kid commit, and, you know, even when a kid commits, you know, the day before signing day, you know, that he could be told, you know, hey, we don't got room for you now. And th- we don't see that at Notre Dame. Uh, we did see like a little bit of a, you know, and that was, and that was bad enough press. If you remember the TJ Sheffield incident from the summertime, mm-hmm. um, you know, and all that went down and we caught enough bad press for that. And that was Notre Dame's fault. <laughs> they weren't recruiting the kid. And, uh, you know, he said he wanted to commit and they said, just hold on, you know, let's, let's talk about this. And then he runs the social media and commits. Um, and then Notre Dame gets the backlash for not accepting the commitment. Um, yeah, I don't think people quite understand how recruiting works, you know, where there's a 200 offers that go out. And that article I thought was total bullcrap. Um, was that Sports Illustrated that put that article out about, about everyone, these kids are getting hosed because there's all these offers going out and they're not committable? They, these recruits know what offers are committable and which ones aren't for the yeah. most. There, there are some shit. And there are some shady schools, and but I think the longer the process goes on, if they don't realize what's happening with them with certain schools, then they're not being guided well enough by their parents or their coaches in high school or their guidance counselor, you know, or whoever. You know, if if, if Alabama is is leading you along, you know, there's going to be other schools that are sitting there, so you're not exactly getting hosed. There's a place for you somewhere. Um, but I thought the, the article was crap. Like it didn't really explain like where these numbers came from or any of that. And it was just one of those things where you're glad Notre Dame isn't in that, in that basket of conversation, you know? So you, you'd hate to see, um, you know, them get put in there for, you know, for no reason. So I, I think the, the overarching thing we're talking about here is tough conversations and honest conversations. Um, I think that when they sit down with, like you said, I think when they sit down with a recruit, they let him know about the difference between a committable and a non-committable offer. And, you know, maybe it's not, maybe it's not as plain spoken as I just said it. Um, but I think that the recruit kind of understands where he stands in the pecking order. Um, and I also think that there are conversations that Brian Kelly has been willing to have in the last two years that he wasn't maybe willing to have before 2016 and it's about the roster churn at the at the bottom of the roster. This you know the sixty five to eighty five. I you know I have no inside knowledge, but I just I have to believe that Javon McKinley, just to pick on one guy, knows exactly where he stands with this program, and it's up to him to decide what's his priority. If if he loves school and he wants a degree from Notre Dame, then he'll get his degree, and then if his ambition is still football, then he'll pursue it elsewhere. You know. Well, I'm glad you brought, I'm glad you brought up McKinley because. Because I, I think he's actually on track to graduate this summer, and in, as, from what I from what I was told, and then he would actually have two years of eligibility left, which is like a Corey Holmes situation, I believe, um, was the same way. Uh, think, so again, if we get Corey Holmes in every podcast, <laughs> I have to man. <laughs> so so again, I, I, think, I think that's a situation that that no one's going to sit there and applaud Notre Dame over. But 
you know, I think that's a case where, you know, McKinley can still get that very valued, very prestigious, you know, Notre Dame degree and still be able to go play some football, not at Notre Dame, but somewhere else. And he's got not just one year, but he's got two years to play. You know, he can go, he can go anywhere and you got two years to get your master's then, you know, playing football. If a fan is upset that Javon McKinley was railroaded or pushed out the door, however they want to term it, I I don't think that that's really looking at it from the perspective of both sides. You know, you can consider it a win for for Notre Dame because they have one fewer uh, roster spot. And now that that numbers crunch becomes a little bit easier. But it's also a win for McKinley. If he's getting passed by freshman receivers um, and he's not going to see the field, then it's time for him to go to a place where – the coaches believe in him more than than they do at no, at Notre Dame or whatever. So um, I, yeah, because I, I mean, you look at his like not to keep harping on McKinley, but I mean, I think that's that's like one of the key, you know, one of the key players you can look at in a group of like you know five or six guys about who might move on. You know, he had I think maybe like nine, ten snaps total on offense all season long. With like most of, the, I think like eight of them coming in against Syracuse, so I, that's that's very telling. I mean, that's ridiculously telling. Um, you know that you know you have a freshman like you know Kevin Austin come in. Basically, he just took away all your snaps. Um, you know that you're going to get. So you're absolutely right. I think, and I think you know, I think people don't don't look at that enough. They don't look at the the good side of that enough where, Hey, you know what? This guy did exactly what he committed in Notre Dame to do. He may not have been a, a, a success in the football field that you thought he would be, but he wanted that degree and he's leaving. He got, he has it. And I think that that needs to be as much. And I'd never really tout academics and talk about recruiting. I'm not an alum. I went to a Mac school, go Mac. And you know, it's just not, it's not a bragging point for me. I'm not gonna, <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to like sell it. Like, you know, well, you know, you know, like a lot of the, the the fan talk that a lot of people have out there, but it is important to me for for these guys to get their degrees in a way. You know, it, it's it, it is the it was the one of the few things that I that I do care about in that respect. Where if they're going to come in and they're going to be there, get your degree and have a great life. You know? you're, making, you're you're making a very good point there because I think what people forget when you talk about how this is a win for McKinley in this specific situation is that this whole experience for him is also part of college, which prepares young men for life. And in real life, if there's a situation you're in, in which you need to move on and it's a better party for everybody, that's a very important lesson to learn. And that's, I think a perspective that a lot of people don't take when they talk about football recruiting and the issues we're talking about with over recruiting and having too many guys on scholarship, like, well, this is going to happen again in your life someday. This is how it's going to be handled. This is you're now learning the value of moving on and going to a place where you're more valuable, essentially, and you have your degree. It's the fulfillment. Right. Uh, it's the fulfillment of a promise. They sold him on a certain dream and and a big and I think the thing that they probably stress more so than you're going to get X number of snaps or you're going to be our number one guy at this position is you're here to get your degree. If Javon McKinley leaves Notre Dame with his degree, we all do we do what we always do. We wish him the best of success, and we hope he kills it at another program. You know, so uh, hopefully not against Notre Dame, obviously. But 
um, you know, that's 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 all I that's all I'm really rooting for in that guy's situation because it it seems clear to me that he can't do anything at this point to get himself back into um, you know the the position where he's considered part of the main rotation or at least part of the the next guy in rotation. Absolutely. All right, we're going to take a uh, quick uh, break here, and you can hear from our sponsor, whoever they may be, and uh, we'll be right back in just a moment. And we're back. All right, uh, just move on a little bit uh, from recruiting, and let's talk about something um, a little more depressing, and that is the uh, <laughs> the Fighting Irish on the hardwood. Um, Luckily, we have uh, Pat Sullivan in here to uh, to explain everything to us. So, Pat, I'm going to hand you the microphone and stream of consciousness, whatever you want about this team. I was absolutely <laughs> just aghast at the way they were just chucking up threes against uh, against Miami. I just I just I can't understand how that went on. And I think Jordan Cornette sitting there going, "What the hell." You know, him saying, like, why isn't anybody stopping this was how we all felt watching it. It's like, why, why does this continue? Um, want to shed some light, vent, uh, break some stuff over the podcast airwaves? <laughs> yeah, I, I got a few things to say. Um, <laughs> first and foremost, I think it showed a lot of foresight on my part to go out to dinner with friends instead of watching that game. I, I don't know why. I must have just had a feeling. And making me but, do the recap. So I, yeah, I, 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 I had to write about that. I'm so sorry you had to, you had to take that on. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it, it was really frustrating to look at my phone at the end of dinner and see that score just because, you know, it looked like they might have finally turned a corner at BC. You know, they, they had lost five straight games. And you were like, is this team ever going to win another ACC game? And then they finally beat Boston College again because apparently Boston College just will never beat us in basketball. Um, Fantastic stuff. <laughs> and so, like, we I, – I, I, I actually thought, like, they shot better against BC. Like, I was like, okay, here we go. Miami's a terrible team, and it is on the road, but they're a terrible team. They'll win again. They're going to get two in a row. Here comes a winning streak. And so that, that was just really deflating to see. Um I mean, for me, the the biggest disappointment this season has been just the play of TJ Gibbs. Uh, I, I thought he fought really hard last year in a really tough situation, having to carry the team without Bonzi and Matt Farrell. And and I thought he, I mean, he wasn't amazing last year, but he was asked to do way more than he should have been asked to do. So I was, I was pretty happy with the result. And I thought he grew a lot and became a great leader. And then this season, he's just been making really bad decisions, shooting really poorly. Um, and I actually have a theory here. He uh, he got sick and missed the first Boston College game. Um, before that, he was shooting 36% from the field and 37% from three-point range. So 36% from the field is not great, but it's, it's fine. 37% from three-point range, pretty good. Since then, he's been shooting 29% from the field and 19%, 19% from three-point range. Um, I don't know what his sickness was. I think it was just the flu or something, but I feel like it also might've involved, I don't know, some sort of space jam situation with an alien getting inside his body and taking his talent. <laughs> it, like, honestly, like it, 
he's been completely like he started ACC play. I mean, it was only a two game sample, but the first two games of the ACC, let's see, he shot. What is it? I have it right here. He shot. He made he made five of ten threes in the first game, six of thirteen in the second game. So he was just shooting lights out from three, and he was yeah he was shooting like forty three percent from the field and forty eight percent from three. So like he started out ACC play fantastic, looked like he was about to have a great ACC season after kind of a rough start to the year, um, and then something happened with that that flu bug. I don't know exactly you, what it was. Do you think that? I mean, just just to me and just about everybody else that's been watching too. Like there is a, like, it feels like there's a total lack of leadership out there. And I guess a lot of us are like looking for Gibbs to provide maybe not so much leadership, but just some fire, like some, like, you know, let, you know, something out there, some emotion, something. Do you just think that the, that his shooting slump has taken, taken him over. So, you know, took him over his, you know, his whole mindset that he's just unable to provide that. I mean, with so many freshmen on the roster that we're depending upon, I mean, those guys are looking up, you know, out in the court when they're get when their things are going badly. They're looking over to those to those guys, and no one's no one's lifting anybody up. And I mean, do you think how big of an issue do you think that is? And do you think do you, are we right in hammering Gibbs for not you know providing that? Uh, yeah. So first of all, yeah, I think leadership's one of the biggest issues with this team. Um, I mean, this team was never going to be a, a great team or anything, or I, I don't even think they were going to make the tournament with everyone healthy, but the, it, something the, better than that, this. Yeah. The, the vacuum of leadership, upperclassmen leadership, obviously is, is really the issue here. And, and part of that can be put on someone like TJ Gibbs, who's been a, you know, a major contributor since his freshman year. And he's, who was named a captain this season. He's a junior, you know, he knows how to play. He knows how Bray's system works, et cetera. And, and I think part of it is, yeah, he's in a shooting slump. And so he's lost some confidence. And also he's got to take on the toughest perimeter defensive matchup usually instead of Rex Fluger, who would have usually been doing it. So he's probably more right. tired and just having to deal with a lot more shit. Um, but I think part of this also has to fall on Mike Bray. I love Mike Bray to death, but his recruiting has been so inconsistent over the years. Like, so, the, I mean, this senior class was Fluger, Burns, who's now gone, and Matt Ryan, who's now gone. Um, so he basically had one senior in this class, and once he got hurt, there was no one on the court to be that senior leader. So then you have to look to the juniors, and again, Gibbs is going through a lot of stuff, and maybe he's just not the right guy to be that leader on the court. John Mooney, I think he's led very well by example, but I don't know if he's necessarily like the fiery uh, this is how you should do it kind of leader that like a Pat Connaughton or Matt Farrell were when they would be out on the court telling their younger teammates, this is what we do. Here's what you should do, et cetera. So, so yeah, I, I think that's the big issue here is that there's just, there's no upperclassman out there that's leading by example and leading in a very like direct fiery way. Cause that, I mean, that's the kind of direction freshmen need. Freshmen are going to be freshmen. I'm not really worried about any of the freshman players on this team. I think they've all shown enough flashes that I'm excited for their future. It's just, I don't, I feel a lot worse about next season than I did originally because I thought, oh, we're going to have Gibbs and Mooney as seniors and then these freshmen as sophomores with a lot of experience. And it's, uh, it's been pretty deflating to see how poorly most of them have played, and especially in the Miami game, everyone played poorly. That was a horrible right. second half. Even Mooney was bad. Now, <clears throat> I completely agree with you on, 
I, especially what you were talking about with Bray and his recruiting. And as far as, you know, that, that gap, you know, at a, a school like Notre Dame where you're not doing one-and-done type talents, you can't have that kind of gap. But mm-hmm. I think more so for me right now is, is, and I've been hammering on this, is I just feel the lineup is wrong. I just, this is not a good shooting team. And while there could be, there probably is some shooters, um, and they're just not hitting this year, you know, right now, and they could be youth and taking some bad shots or whatnot. But I just feel they need to go bigger. Like I have been adamant about the need for both Mooney and Durham out there at the same time. And I would like to see, you know, you know, Nate out there as well. Um, you know, if you got to sit Harvey, you know, just go with the three forward, two guard set instead of, you know, four guards and what, you know, and Mooney and you mm-hmm. have all these guys launching threes and, you know, Mooney's coming out, you know, outside, you know, he's swinging back outside and he's, t- you know, he took what, four, four or five uh, shots from, from downtown, you know, against Miami, you know, and I don't, I don't mind Mooney taking those shots, but when they were struggling that bad, and then you look at what they did in the re- you know, th- throughout the rest of the game, you know, they were about 50% from the field outside, you know, inside the three point line. You know, and, and they hit all their damn free throws, for God's sakes. I mean, that irony. But I just feel that if they go a little bigger, there's that less, there's like one less temptation of somebody out there. Yeah, I don't know if that, how much that has to do with it, but I just feel like there needs to be a bigger change in what's going on, a bigger change in starting Joe, you know, Jogo. Um, but, you know, if that's the, if that's the, uh, the change, the toss up. I think we're re- he's really missing the mark on that one. Am I yeah, wrong? No, no I, I agree with you. I mean, when you don't have a good shooting team, the goal or the strategy should be attack the basket. Like, whether that's posting up with Mooney and Durham or if it's guys like Hub and Gibb, Gibbs trying to get to the rim. Like, that's, that's the strategy that, like, because then once you start scoring inside and you start taking it to the hoop, defenses collapse and shooters get open, et cetera. So, right. Uh, I, I completely agree with you. That I don't really understand why, especially in a game like the Miami one where they clearly, everyone was just cold. Like why Notre Dame kept taking threes. And I think part of it's because they're young. A lot of young guys out there that think they can shoot through it. But I think Bray's got to pound that into them, especially a guy like, Pre- like Prentice Hub has already shown he's pretty good about taking it to the basket. And I mean, he's got a little ways to go in terms of finishing sometimes. But if he can take it to the hoop more, Look for, I mean, maybe, maybe they need some more pick and roll kind of stuff like they used to do with August. Um, yeah, their half really court sets are just so unorganized. Oh, they're horrible. It, it, I mean, I've, I've never, never seen, seen a Mike Bray offense. Yeah. Yeah. Mike Bray offenses are always so beautiful to watch, even when they're not, even when it's not the like 2014, 2015 team that has, you know, Connett's any grand. They're just moving the ball over the place. Even the lesser teams still move the ball beautifully. Like they all are moving. They all are cutting, et cetera, spotting up, finding open shooters. Like it's, this has been a really tough season to watch because everyone is so young and doesn't get the offense yet. It's been ugly. Yeah. But I mean, even the upperclassmen, Harvey yeah. looks lost out there. I mean, just moving without the, moving without the basketball, you know, there'd be an open guy and he's, Harvey just looks completely lost. I don't understand. I don't understand what he's doing out there half the time. Um, and, you know, and he actually had a decent shooting game against Miami, but everything else that he did outside of that, like completely like nullified it. 
you know, and I, I just think I, that Miami game, and I, I just thought about this. That was basically Notre Dame's like tin cup, you know, where they're just like, <laughs> fuck it. I'm getting this thing over the pond. I'm trying. Yeah. And, you know, you start off the game three or four from, you know, so you get that little bit of confidence. Yeah. But to go one from one for 24 the rest of the game, I mean, this would be a game that even if we lost, we're not talking this much about, but I just can't get over the fact of how they lost. And it was just so, it's nothing we had seen. And it, everyone keeps bringing up, this is like John McLeod era, you know, type of nonsense. And, you know, it is, and, you know, in a way. They're just, oh, it was just so awful. It's hard to, like, overlook this game. And it's really hard to look for, you know, look down the road when there are some winnable games, should be or could be winnable games, to finish out the season, you know, finish out on a positive note. I, these guys aren't even going to the NIT the way, you know, the way things are. So. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's rough. And to go back to DJ Harvey, he's an interesting case because, you know, he had that, that knee injury last year. And so he was out all the off season, couldn't really train, develop, play, et cetera, until this fall. I, I don't know if, he's ever going to be the same. Like he was a fairly explosive guy before that injury. And now he, like you said, he looks lost. He doesn't look like he knows what to do. And uh, so, so that, that's been tough to watch. And again, that goes back to somewhat to Bray's recruiting. DJ Harvey was a one man class. So we really needed him to pan out as a, you know, that highly ranked guy that he was. And then he had that injury. Now all of a sudden we have a, an empty class there. We have an, probably an empty class coming in next year. Um, this freshman class really needs to step up next year, big time. Hopefully at the end of this year, like you said, get a little positive momentum. I uh, want to drag. I have a question for Pat, if you don't mind, uh, Pat with the men's team losing to Miami and the women's team losing to Miami and the men's, the football team losing to Miami. Is there some sort of sage burning process that we need to go through with Coral Gables area to like redo the, the, the mojo there or what? There's got to be something. I, I don't know what's going on there, but they put some sort of voodoo curse on us or something. And who, who exactly? No one sold, can beat Miami from Notre Dame right now. <laughs> who exactly sold their soul to make all this happen? Because you know, losing the Hurricanes is is not fun at all. Yeah, it beats me. Uh, I would have to be someone from Miami with a big personal grudge against against Notre Dame. I don't know. Maybe Jimmy Johnson or someone decided to make a deal with the devil, but it's, it's been frustrating. Super frustrating. All right. Thank you. All right. We're going to do a, uh, some more podcast business real quick and uh, hear a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Imagine that. All right. So, uh, all right. So we got all that out of the way. I think, uh, I just think right now we're, we're kind of struggling to, um, you know, to have a good time <laughs> talking about the basketball team, just, that just went straight depressing. You know, you had a, a signing day that was, uh, that was pretty non eventful. And then that, so I don't know. So look, I'm just going to, we got a little bit of time here left in the podcast. I just some random, random stuff here that I found on Twitter or some other stuff. I'm just going to ask you guys and uh, talk about, look, there was a great question today from another SB Nation site, and I, I thought it was kind of cool and was reading the responses. It said, uh, random college gear found in your closet, like a school you didn't go to, just like the most random like t-shirt, like if you had an incarnate word t-shirt, 
or <laughs> which somebody had. Um, does any, anybody got any good stories on anything they got and how you got it, maybe? I've got a hat from Bradford University. I think they're the squirrels. And somebody said, oh, your name's Bradford, right? Here's a Bradford hat. And I said, no, it's, it's Bradley. But thank they're you. mascots of squirrels? I think so. They're, I think they're the fighting squirrels. They may, they may actually be a fictional university. I never did, I never did, the, uh, never did the research, but it was, like when, it was an official hat. I think I got a UD hat just like it, a Dayton hat just like it, and then a Bradford squirrels hat that I used to wear. <laughs> Nobody else? We got just some random shit laying out in their closet. Um, so I've got a I've got a Pepperdine hoodie, um, and that was most. There's not really a story there. It was basically in high school we we had to wear uniforms because I went to a Catholic high school. Um, but as seniors, you could wear college sweatshirts. So the cool thing was to just get random colleges as sweatshirts and then wear them. So I, I sported a Pepperdine hoodie despite never having gone to, I think, where is it, Malibu or something? It's yeah, in the, California. Yeah, there, it's a pretty, good, uh, a pretty good spot in the country. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> you know, I don't have a ton of Notre Dame stuff. I've got a Brady Quinn uh, Cleveland Browns jersey still hanging in my, in my closet. <laughs> Let me know. DM me. I will be happy to send it to you. Um, I, I have one of my own. <laughs> um, my uh, my sister graduated from, and her husband graduated from the University of Scranton. They are the Royals, and uh, they have a bunch of stuff that they made their kids wear, and then we got them as hand-me-downs, so now my oldest is wearing University of Scranton hoodies. So uh, <laughs> uh, shout out to the, to the uh, U of S. Nice. Uh, something else that uh, that struck my fancy. Um, listening to a, another podcast, uh, it was a uh, won't mention any names because uh, what the fuck. Uh, but I wish somebody would just go ahead and or wish more people would punch Chase Winovich, the defensive end of Michigan. Is now is Chase really that much of an? Enemy? Was his crying after the game and after the Ohio State game? Was that the, 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 you know, I know Michigan is our mortal enemy, but really, you know, this one, one game since, you know, since 14, did, uh, did those comments make enough impression for that to be like, what the hell? I kind of lump him in the, the Baker Mayfield school, you know, like he just, he's just a guy who's going to run his mouth and, and most of the time I, I kind of find it entertaining uh, when, you know, when he said, uh, you know, I really felt like we were the better team after Michigan lost it to Notre Dame. And that reminded me of all the old like yard points, uh, you know, arguments that Michigan fans used to make. Well, you're sure we lost 31 nothing, but we outgained you. You know what I mean? It's like, OK, <laughs> you know, and you just sort of you have fun with it. And um, and you just it just sounds like kind of whiner talk. But I you know, to be honest with you, after the moment after he beat Michigan State this year, and he kept talking about, you know, we had to put little brother in his place. It just, it was funny to me because he'd lost to Michigan State so many times and he, he didn't seem to have any perspective on that. So I'm most, I, I'm mostly amused by it. Well, it was a revenge tour. I did, this is a, you know, kind of an antidote that I'm pretty familiar with, or, but I'm surprised more people don't know about it. But I guess, you know, Chase Winovich's mom got kicked out of the Notre Dame Michigan game. Did you guys know that? 
I did hear what that. What did yeah. she do? I hadn't heard that. Uh, apparently, she went uh, she went ballistic on somebody, uh, which is like if anyone has been to a football game in the, in Notre Dame Stadium, the ushers are totally pro visitor, like a thousand fold. Like there, there's like there's no way to there's no way to explain how like if you go to other stadiums, like their fans could stab you. And an usher come around and they'd be like, yeah, this dude just stabbed himself <laughs> and you're kicked out. Yeah. Notre Dame stadium. It's, it's the opposite where the, it, it always has felt like the visiting fans have been able to, to keep that image up. So whatever this woman did and being the mother of a player on the field, I can't, I don't know exactly what it was, but I was just was explained to me that it was verbal in nature. Uh, <laughs> so I did uh, somebody said that they that they heard about that. Did you hear anything different or anything more specific? Now that's what I had heard, pretty much. So I'm I'm kind of I kind of feel I kind of feel like we're losing out here. Uh, you know, we're going up to Ann Arbor another game. I kind of feel like with Winovich being this you know villainous, you know that we're kind of <laughs> we're kind of missing out on another year of something. You know, you I think when you're looking at these games. If you look, at least from my perspective, because I, I take it to a, a whole different weird level that other people don't. But, you know, you're looking for those, you know, for those oddities, those, those weird moments, those kind of off the cuff. Like, this guy's a total fucking asshole. And, but I'm thinking, like, I thank God we're playing him. You know, I want to see what happens. Do you guys feel that way at all about any of this? Or are you just glad that he's not going to be on the field uh, chasing Ian Book around? I'm super glad he's not going to be around. <laughs> or Rashawn Gary. I mean, all the credit in the world to both those guys. Devin Bush, uh, same same deal. I mean, go get drafted, go get paid, go get made, made a lot of money. Uh, uh, you know, don't turn into Tom Brady because that's that's awful. Um, but uh, you know, other than that, uh, whatever. I, I just I'm, I'm glad they're not going to be there next year. And I and I'm also happy for any running backs who want to declare themselves academically ineligible. <laughs> I'm all for that too. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not even sure who. Uh, I mean, I'm not really sure who Mission's going to be putting out there. Like it matters. All right. Um, hey, something I wanted to. I just want to touch base. I want to kind of take it back to recruiting just real quick, um, mainly because it's uh, it made me look like an idiot because uh, I couldn't remember what I was thinking here. But when we were talking about the states. And who's going down there recruiting it? You know, Notre Dame now, Autry Denson's moving on to be a head coach at um, uh, wherever you and um, Charleston you know, Southern. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much for taking care of that. But no, so now, you know, so now there's, now Florida was Denson's area. So with that being said, now that, you know, now, now that we're running free with the new running backs coach, I mean, do you think that could change the whole perspective on Florida as well? You get a whole different level level of recruiter going down there, or at least a different person than Denson, um, who if I know most people know this by now, but I mean, really, Denson's style of recruiting was just like the most laid laid back. Like it was like running into like a pastor at McDonald's, and and while you're t- getting your co- waiting on your coffee. It takes way too long for a place like McDonald's to serve coffee. That you're just kind of talking, and he's all like, "Hey, man, the Lord loves you." 
and I'm just down here on this uh, two blocks away. Why don't you come on over here and, uh, and come on, just check it out if you want. If not, that's cool. And that's basically Denson's style, you know, of recruiting. If you know, felt like you know, like praise the Lord, do as you will. We're just letting you know we're here. Do you think because of just there's a, there is a definite culture, you know, sh- shift in Florida of not shift, but it's a whole different world down there when it comes to recruiting. These kids know at these schools what goes on. Their teammates above them have, have gone through that. Everyone, no one's blindsided by, by all these big time schools coming in and recruiting these guys, recruiting them. So does anyone think that, that a change um, from Denson is going to change like the philosophy? You know, that we, like, do you think that went hand in hand? Anybody? Um, so I, I think it might, I mean, maybe, maybe they revisit Florida now that they don't have Denson. I was going to say earlier, maybe they stopped focusing on Florida so much because they were not winning <laughs> recruiting battles in Florida and <laughs> potentially that was because of Denson. I mean, it, it always struck me as strange that Autry Denson, a, you know, the all-time leading rusher in Notre Dame played in the NFL, couldn't get that many big time recruits, just a running back or even in general. Um, and maybe Tell me if I'm wrong there. I don't know who he actually brought in in, in his time at Notre Dame, but uh, maybe with, with this new guy, Lance, with Lance Taylor, is that his name? Um, maybe he's able to go in and do Florida. I don't know if they have someone else that's going to be assigned to Florida instead, but maybe with a new recruiter working it, maybe they revisit it because they have someone that can actually handle the, the different culture there. I mean, not to be flippant about it, but it really can only go up from here, right? I mean, I think that's what Pat's saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I guess I get that, but it's going to. But just in the general sense of Florida itself, like, I mean, like I said, you know, that the, the whole, like, state issue has been a big topic of discussion, not just with us, but throughout the rest of the Notre Dame media over the last couple of years. And it really got heightened last year with, you know, with, with Kelly actually saying something about not going down there, you know, which was, I think, um, you know, a story from uh, that Pete Sampson did. But so in that sense where it, it just seems like, like your whole recruiting strategy in an area that is like ridiculously loaded in talent was going around a guy who was ridiculously horrible at recruiting. To me, it's just, it, that's just, a, that's a huge thing. I've, I'm just, I guess I'm waiting to see how they go about attacking that. Like, do you think like Lance Taylor is going to come in and be like, like, yeah, I'm not going to go into Florida. You know, I mean, I think he's going to, he's going to want to do well. He's, there's an obvious expectation for, of him to be that huge step up, you know? So, I mean, <laughs> not, a, not a chip on your shoulder or anything like that, but he's going to, he wants to prove his worth for sure. And I, I, I just I would have to think that your the whole strategy starts to shift, you know, like you said, back to something a little more normal. Yeah, no, uh, I I agree. Go ahead, Jude. I was just going to say that I I think this is a this is proving ground for Lance. I mean, he, he has to if he wants to uh, pursue a, a future in college football, he's got to prove uh, not only to Notre Dame but to his next employer that he can really recruit. So. Um, he's been out of the game for a little bit. And so now it's time to, uh, to jump back in and, and, and work hard. And, you know, I, I was always, I always thought it was so funny that I always wish we could put Brian Polian, 
together with Autry Denson, because I think the rap on Polian is the exact opposite of the rap on Denson, which was Polian's a is considered a, a great recruiter, a very enthusiastic guy, a guy kind of goes to the far flung places and and gets guys that turn into uh, to diamonds. And uh, but you know the special teams was giving us headaches last year, so <laughs> field performance suffered. Whereas whereas Denson was celebrated for turning CJ Proceis and you know into a back and and, and turning a uh, you know, other guys from wide receiver into, into running backs and, and doing a good job at it, you know? So it almost felt like a great, I mean, a great job. I think, I, I think our, I'll use that word flip it. I think we were a little too flippant about Denson it, just because, because of his lack of recruiting skills, but as a coach, he wasn't just good. He was great as a coach. We look at the material he had, the results were absolutely there. And I know we talked about like the 2000, 17 season when the holes were, you know, just immense. But I mean, this, the the one fact alone, you know, that the fumble it goes all the way back. Notre Dame running back has lost a fumble since the Boston College game in 15. That says a ton about what you're what, what you're doing in practice day in and day out. So I, I you know, we're all bashing down on Denson, and you know, and everyone's quote unquote glad, you know, that he's moving on. But again, I, we still have to give a ton of, we still have to give the, the credit that was due for him that we, I guess, a lot of times we just, we would overlook because, because this recruiting was pretty horrible. Well, all right. So we're going <laughs> to, oh, I got, I got one more before, we're gonna, before we move on to our, uh, to our question round, which I guess I've been asking a bunch of dumb questions as it is, but, um, Bob Stoops. Anybody got any thoughts on Bob Stoops, who is now the head coach of the XFL Dallas franchise? Now that that um, AAF starts this weekend, and I'm super excited. And go Atlanta Legends! Uh, I'm getting pumped about by that decision to uh, to back them. Uh, hashtag it. Hail! Uh, hell, I don't even know what the hell it was. Um, but anyways. Um, but Bob Stoops is going to be the head coach for an XFL team. Bob Stoops, the guy who's pretty much the first or second name that rolls off every Notre Dame fan uh, when they talk about a guy to replace Brian Kelly. And for the last couple of years, people have chucked it off as, look, he's, a, he's not a guy that you're going to get. Does this move at all to anybody strike you as something like, well, maybe they could get Stoops. Um, you know, if, if Kelly ends up leaving or whatever, whatever happens, it, it, does this move signify that, that that's a possibility now? I mean, I think there was a lot of, a lot of Notre Dame bros on the internet saying, I fucking do it. Um, you know, <laughs> and, you know, when, and because there was two camps, right. When he retired, it was like, no man, this is it. Like his dad died early. Like he wants to spend time with his family, you know? And then there's, and then there's the guys that are like, no, he's coming back. And the next great offer that comes around, he'll take it or whatever. He bought a house in Chicago. He's right there. Yeah, exactly. Um, look, uh, you know, it sounds like the XFL was kind of a perfect situation for him. Uh, he's really bought into kind of what they're trying to accomplish and what his role in all this would be. And uh, I, I don't think it translates to uh, being the next ho- head coach of Notre Dame or the head coach in waiting or anything like that. No, but do you think this this changes the outlook at all? Like, I mean, I, for me, I was pretty much told that, 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 that it was never going to happen. 
like never. Well, I mean, I think but, we've, moved the, we've moved the needle from 0% to 0.5%. You know what I mean? Okay, so, so you're basically never. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm like John, John Gruden, Tony Dungy, uh, J- okay. John Harbaugh, um, like Bob Stoops, Urban Meyer. None of these people, uh, Bobby Petrino, none of these people are ever going to be coaching in their name. And, you know, call me up and, and splice this out of the podcast if I'm wrong and, and feel free to shove it back in my face. But I feel pretty confident. I don't think it's a real, a real stretch to say that. You know what I mean? Does like, Bob Stoops have, have as much chance as, say, like Steve Spurrier? <laughs> I think I think Bob Stoops has a more of a chance than Steve Spurrier, but we're talking <laughs> again between zero and zero point five percent. So um, that's you know, depressing. I have Spurrier I, part. That is. I haven't. I haven't heard a good. I really haven't heard a good reason why it doesn't make sense for me. The, besides his proximity of one of his homes to Notre Dame, I, I really don't. I don't get it. So, well, I mean, there's all there's all the the original reasons why. I mean, the Youngstown Catholic Notre Dame fan thing growing up, basically a lot of the same stuff as Gruden um, is why his name keeps getting mentioned and by him that he's won a national championship. Um, but I think it moves the needle a little bit. More. I mean, I was buried at zero, uh, but I, I think it's moved more than a half percentage point. Just in the sense that that seems like he's willing to get back to work. Now, with all that said, I, it needs to be said that his wife is like a huge, huge Mary Kay, like distributor. Like that's her, like her life. And I, I believe Mary Kay's like world headquarters is based in Dallas. So <laughs> he may just need something to do while she's off selling lipstick. Uh, so <laughs> it could be something as simple as that. Uh, but to me, it, it, it's at least interesting. A little bit more than interesting to me, to say the least. And if nothing else, it's great fodder. I mean, we're talking about every close win against Pitt, every loss uh, to a top 10 team. Stoops' name is going to be just belted out more than ever, I believe. And uh, that's always good comedy. Um, can I, I, I want to quickly chime in just because I think my take is a little different than a lot of people, especially all the crazies online. Like, I don't think Bob Stoops deciding that. I just called him that. I call them all crazies. I, saw, uh, I identify as a crazy online, so it's fine. Come, come find me on. Come find me on Twitter, crazies. I, I'm crazy too. But uh, no, I, I I see I see Bob Stoops taking a head coach slash GM role in the XFL. And that doesn't say to me that he's ready to get back into serious coaching. To me, this is he wants to have some fun coaching now that he's retired. So he's going to like coaching in the XFL is not the same as coaching at Notre Dame or in the NFL or anything. Like this is going to be fun for him. There's no pressure. He can do whatever the hell he wants, put together this team, et cetera. I, I, to me, this didn't move the needle at all. I, I don't think this changes anything. It's just he wants to do some coaching. So he's going to do it in the XFL because it'd be fun. Oh, yeah, that's an excellent point. I also think there's a good chance that he never ends up coaching in the XFL because the XFL just does, never gets off the ground. So Yeah, I mean, well, I mean it's not a bad way to make money fold. for him. It could fold after a year, too, even if it does get off the ground. Like the last time, I mean, I know it's not the same XFL as the last time, but there's no guarantee this will be a, even a long-term thing. They don't even have teams picked yet. 
So yeah, <laughs> I, went, I went to the XFL today because I, I was like scouring. You know, I'm trying to find, you know, an alliance football league team to like latch on to, right? And so, and I was a bit, I'm a huge, I've talked about this before. I was a, I'm a huge like spring football guy through my whole life. I've loved it. So I'm like, oh, the XFL. Let me go check and see what's going on there. And, and I'll check on most, you know, Snoop's thing. So they just got all the cities laid out, but there's no colors, there's no names. And I just, I want to throw my hat in the ring, XFL, if you're listening to me right now. If you need someone, like just to pick all these out, I'd be more than willing. Um, <laughs> but names like the extreme and all that need to be like out fucking outlawed. The outlaws as a name need to be outlawed. <laughs> just, <laughs> just putting that out there. Just, it was an interesting thing I saw today. I would have thought they would have, you know, tried to start building their brand early. Um, and it looks like, like they're not, which maybe that's a good yeah. sign. Maybe that, maybe that's a sign of, of a more mature, um, you know, more business, uh, sense, uh, running, you know, that, you know, that league. But that was actually the first thing that struck me too. When I started to do some research, my first <laughs> thought was who put these names into the hat? And then why were they just picking out of the hat? There was no thought put into this at all. So, you know, that's not really, to me, the mature business sense. If, if you're going to think about your branding and you're going to, you know, have names that are names and brands that are attached to some sort of essence of the city's brand and you want to connect with the people in your city, like, what, where the hell did they come up with this shit? Like, this is terrible. You know, even the World League failed on that level. Of time. Yeah. Raleigh. And it, it was like you needed a fucking translator to figure out why Raleigh. Durham was the Skyhawks. Yeah. And, they, and you know, it was, a, it was a really shitty logo. And we're talking, you know, early 90s. It's going to be crappy, but it, it should have been like, you would have thought it would have been more gaudy. But it was just a triangle with three, you know, jets with, you know, with the streams behind them. And, you know, is the, the research triangle down, you know, in North Carolina, that's, that you, you'll hear people talk about going to live down the triangle and all that. And so the fans chose that name. They chose the Skyhawks thing and all, and all that stuff. But it was fucking awful. It was as bad as like a shirt that their name comes up with every damn spring. <laughs> like, like, like these are our, this is our stuff by committee. Uh, so I, it just, it struck me as odd. There's how poorly these, you know, the right branding can set anything off anymore. I think we live in that era where, where nothing has to be proven if it's a good brand for a while. And it's a word that I hate college football using all the time, especially Notre Dame. I hate talking about building the brand. Like, fucking win. That's the brand. Yeah. But when you go back to spring football, you definitely you need something to sell. And I was surprised the XFL has yet went that route. So just thought I'd throw that in there. All right. So last week we, we started a new thing. We're, uh, we're doing three questions between Jude and I. And we realized we're being pretty fucking selfish. Uh, we had two other guys on with us and, you know, they weren't involved at all. And that's pretty sad. You know, we're, we're all about inclusion here. So we're going to change it up, um, you know, to end the podcast. And I, everybody's going to get the, their turn. It's going to be like uh, taking it back to the old Irish blogger gathering days, that old fucking horrible name. Um, so everybody's going to get a question here. Everybody gets, a, gets to answer it. And uh, so if you don't have them ready, uh, too bad. Uh, Jude. We're going to start off with you. We'll go Jude, Brad, Pat, and then I'll, uh, I'll end. 
guys. Uh, Jeff Samarja was asked about uh, Kyler Murray, and the question was, what do you, what did Jeff Samarja think Kyler Murray should do, pursue football or pursue baseball? And Jeff gave a very, I, I think, uh, political answer, which was he should stick to his heart. Um, but I want to I want to ask you guys, uh, what do you think Kyler Murray should do? And, and let's assume that he is a first round pick in the NFL draft. Um, I think that the money situation now is better at, for the NFL, but the the career is probably still shorter. Um, so question to you guys, if you were Kyler Murray, what, which direction would you be leaning in? For me, go ahead, Brad. Go ahead, ahead, Brad. All right. So I think without a question, you play baseball. And this is from my personal experience of hitting my head far too many times. My short-term memory is complete shit. My head hurts all the time. And I wish I never would have even played high school football. And I I realize that's a bit of an anti-football rant here because, you know, we cover football and uh, that's where we get a lot of our – a lot of people love football. So, you know, I still love football, but – I think given the option, you've got to, you've got to make the, uh, the wise long-term life decision here and uh, play the game where they still wear leather belts and stirrups. I think, it's, I think that's, that's the way I would lean personally. Pat? Uh, so I'm the opposite. I, I think he should play football. <laughs> um, to, I, I mean, obviously health-wise, yeah, baseball makes more sense. But I think in terms of actually making it to the top of the sport, the path in football for Kyler Murray is so much easier and more guaranteed than having to work his way through the minor league system where he could easily fall out of it. I mean, he's going to be making money either way, I'm pretty sure, because what round was he drafted in, in for MLB? I mean, he'll have a big bonus there, right? I believe it was the first round. Yeah, so I mean, the money is not really the issue here. I mean, although I think he'll make more faster in football. Um, but if he really wants, like, if he has a desire to play at the top level of either sport, I think the NFL. He's, I mean, he's literally being drafted into the top team. Whereas in the MLB, he still has to work his way through the minors, and tons of great prospects have washed out without ever making it to the majors. So. If I were him, I would go with football, especially if that's kind of where his heart's leaning. I think that's kind of a no-brainer. Um, and just hopefully he doesn't get, take too many hits. Yeah, I know it was a, it was a corny, <clears throat> corny piece of advice that Samarja gave him. But I, I actually think in this case that actually fits. And I think you can't really – you really can't compare the two. You can't compare what, uh, you know, Murray's baseball career to Samarja's because – we're talking about totally, totally different things here. Samarja is a pitcher, and was was Murray a center fielder? I don't. I mean, I really don't even know. But I, I know he's not a pitcher. And so there's a there's a difference there where, where when you're going into baseball, there's a there's a lot. I want to say a lot more expected from a non pitcher, but there's a lot more you have to do. And hitting's one of them. And so I just feel that there's there is more of a specialization there for for pitchers. You know, like like Samarja there. So there that was a better route for him. And, you know, and I, and I was disappointed. I would like to have seen, you know, Jeff, you know, in the NFL you know, and see what happened. But, uh, so I, but I think he's, I think he's pretty dead on in, in this. And it is a corny thing to say, but Kyler should do what he's going to love most. This isn't the days of Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders. God bless them both. Um, you know, and 
you'd like to go you like you i think i would like to see that like to see him try that but also bo jackson and deon sanders weren't quarterbacks so this is really gonna have to be something that a decision that he's gonna have to stick with and and roll with so that it's gonna have to be a hard decision and it is a hard decision so i I, that's the best i got I'm going to answer my own question by taking the weenie way out. And I'm going to say the, 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 the best solution for him to me is the Drew Henson route, which is that you, you, pull the, <laughs> you pull the string on baseball for as long as it takes you. And then when you top out on baseball, then you try to get back into football and hope your, hope your talent still carries you. Well, you know, with these, with these, I mean, now all of a sudden there's all these spring leagues, you know, with the AAF and the XFL. And, you know, there's always the Canadian route. So, I, you, you know, maybe you're right. You know, if baseball doesn't work out. There are, there are, you know, other avenues for him to get back into football and in football shape, football mode. So yeah, yeah, I, I could, I could back that. So just to clean this up a little bit, he is a center fielder and he was the ninth overall pick in the last MLB draft. So first oh, round. So we were dead off. We we're saying first round. <laughs> I said fielder. We fucking know our stuff. <laughs> go us. Thanks, yeah, guys. Go us. I'm doing jumping jacks. All right, uh, Pat, shoot us with your best uh, question there. Yeah, so uh, I didn't know this was going to be a thing at all. Um, oh, it's so a thing. So I'm kind of shooting from the hip right now, but I'm going to go really on brand here. Uh, <laughs> give me your best pun based on a Notre Dame football player's name. Ian Book is obviously an easy one, it's, but you're welcome to use that. But if you can think of any other ones, be my guest. I will give you... A few seconds to think it over. But will our, will our listeners give us a few seconds to think it over is the key. They, they, they need to take a few seconds, too, to think of their own. All right. Well, well I'll start it off because I, I have one that, that drove uh, Doug Farmer uh, on NBC just absolutely nuts back in 2017. And it was with the backfield of Ian Book and Dion McIntosh yeah. when we had the MacBook backfield. And, Love it! Oh God, I was just was rolling with that. And Farmer hates puns of any sort and any kind, like completely. And so you can see <laughs> falling out of his head, and he had to pick them back up, put them back into his eye sockets. But I would use that over and over again. Uh, so that that's my favorite, just because it was just it's so pure. Uh, it involves two players. Uh, I, I just thought, thought that was a, a great combo. It's not your your thunder lightning bullshit. It was, here's a MacBook. It, it, it's so pure now, you know, in this day and yeah. age of, uh, of the internet and all that. It was gorgeous. Who wants to take a swing? I got... <laughs> well, this uh, <laughs> was uh, very similar to the question I was going to ask, so I've been thinking about this for a good hour. <laughs> <laughs> Given that, uh, uh, just a little background, uh, Pat, was introduced to the superstars for the first time this evening, which if you don't know, are um, a bunch of superstar athletes given puns names for animals, such as LeBronco James and Mackerel Jordan. And they're really spectacular. Check them out there. They're uh, halftime entertainment. So I've been thinking who on the Notre Dame team could I make into a superstar? And, you know, first off I went historically and I thought of Mantis Teow. He'd be a praying mantis. I think that'd be very fitting. Yes. Um, but I also thought, you know, we had Sean Crawfish. Could be a crawfish, but he's Sean Crawford. But then I, but then I, I think I landed on what I want to really wrap it all up with is uh, Al Mahi Mahi Gills Man. 
<laughs> with a little bit of lemon? Yeah, with a little bit of lemon. And uh, if uh, you just want, to, want me to shut it down there, we can all uh, just... That's, that's excellent. God, I... I... You know, I, I've enjoyed all the Jafar uh, gifs uh, from Aladdin, bringing me back to my Aladdin days for Jafar Armstrong. Um, you know, I think Lawrence Keys has potentials. Uh, there's lots of, you know, key lock uh, uh, jokes for wide receivers. Um, key I, I enjoyed, first down. I enjoyed the uh, the U2 uh, reference to our to our cornerback situation, Pride in the Name of Love. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> I really, I really thought I really wanted Devin Stud still to make it because I thought Devin Stud still uh, there was a lot of potential there with that name, um, but you know I don't, I don't really have a good one. I, 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 I think I'm the one who came up with, and I, I could be wrong about this. Somebody came up with Unabomber. I always love that. Uh, I use that a lot. Uh, the first time I used it, I think people were like, "Uh, I don't think so. I don't think that's a good idea." But I, oh, I it's an excellent idea. Who was? Who said idea. that was a bad idea? <laughs> Uh, Puritans, I don't know. Uh, oh, <laughs> it, it just took me like 10 seconds to figure out who you were talking about. <laughs> I was like, Unipower, what in the world? <laughs> oh, okay. Justin, got it. Cool. Um, the other one is, uh, and this is uh, this is a kind of a Catholic thing. I don't, I don't know if this is really that funny. Uh, Tommy Tremble, there's a, 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 a song they played during Easter. Uh, yes. where you do when they crucified our Lord uh, uh, causes me to tremble. I, I, I've I've been working on this for a while, but I can't, I can't come up with this great. So so now on Easter, this is all I'm going to think about. I think I got to go to the vigil this year. So great. Thanks, Jude. That's three. That's three. That's three hours. I'll have banging it around in my head. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. That, that tremble one was too good. I, that's so funny. <laughs> well, you know, tremble was a joke in puns from when he was recruited. So mm. uh, taking that red, he took a red shirt from the pun year, and uh, be moving on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to end it with um, my silly question, and um, this is uh, definitely because of our special friend Pat. You are given the choice. Of oh fuck, where's my notes at? Oh, there it is. You are given the choice of thirty dollars off your Notre Dame football tickets for every game, or Red Panda performing at halftime with the band every game. What do you take? Red Panda inside Notre Dame Stadium, y'all. Wait, so so we're saying you either so you you either get. Your cheap ass in a little cheaper, or you get Red Panda. So basically, you're paying. You, you're basically you're, there's a built-in thirty dollars for Red Panda. How oh, willing? Yeah. How how how, how, <laughs> how much are you willing to have a unicycler out there on the field turf? Is that even possible? I don't I, I hope so, because um, that's my dream. Uh, <laughs> I, I would absolutely pay the extra $30 or whatever the difference would be here to have Red Panda at every halftime. And I know some people might say that would be too much Red Panda. I disagree. That's still not enough Red Panda. Um, 
but I, I do think having her perform every halftime instead of bringing out the band Chicago twice a year for some reason would be ideal. And so I, I definitely pick Red Panda. Red Panda replaces Chicago. That's a live in. Yeah. yeah. Red Panda and Chicago. And the, eh. and the kids running around with fire extinguishers like they're uh, rockets taking off. I, I would think at some point she, <laughs> she would she'd probably run over one of their canes or their walkers. And then you'd have dishes everywhere. And that's, that's no good. We don't want to see that. I've got a compromise. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll take 15 off my ticket. However, uh. however, no red pan at halftime, but you have to replace at least two of those TV timeouts or those in-game breaks where we honor someone or bring out somebody. And I'm not saying we shouldn't honor people. You can still bring them out just like, you know, be a, be a better strategist about this whole thing and figure out when you're going to honor people. But for at least two of those breaks per game, you got to bring out Red Panda. Whoa, I love that. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's way better. Yeah, I like that compromise. 15 bucks. I, I'm going to go the cheapo route. I think seeing Red Panda once on the football field would be great. I'm not sure I could keep it up for six times. Uh, or seven. Having, have, or seven times. Having said that, if you haven't watched Marshawn Lynch watching Red Panda, do yourself a favor <laughs> and please, Josh, embed this video in the, uh, in the post for this podcast. It is the most amazing thing will. to watch Marshawn Lynch watch Red Panda. And he has no idea what this woman is going to do. And she's doing it right in front of him. And, of course, she's nailing it. And he's, like, f- losing his mind. It's, uh, it's a fascinating it's a, it's a great thing. I mean, Marshawn Lynch and the band Chicago were involved. I, I mean, you know, all the money. All the money. So, I mean, Marshawn Lynch is a fucking national treasure. I mean, honestly. I'm a golf cart, too. Yeah. <laughs> he was on a golf cart watching this? No, no, no. Do you remember? Oh, uh, oh yeah. Remember the, oh, yeah, yeah. The cow? Yeah. <laughs> No, I thought, you, I thought you were saying Kurt Walker Panda. <laughs> I got this, sorry, I got this whole thing going on in my head now. So, <laughs> well, all right, everybody. I think that's going to do it for uh, this. Is kind of a long one, um, and that's fine. Um, can I interject before we go? Yeah, uh, hell yeah. Do can we uh, give Jeff advice about selling his snowblower, or are we gonna? Oh shit! Yeah, we we got seriously. Man, that was. Okay. You call for so look, questions and then you don't even answer them. I know. I know. It was, it was like, it was pretty depressing getting the one. And then, like I said, I got, oh shit, we got more than that. Fuck it. it We're going to do it. It was the second one that came in, but I think maybe you and I should answer that one offline. Oh yeah. It's, oh, there's a few of them out here. And okay. We're definitely going to answer these. I don't care if this is two hours long. <laughs> I'm dedicating all this to y'all. But no, this is important. Um, Jeff, uh, we get his whole Jeff ND fan, who I believe is a Fort Wayne native, um, asked us, "Should I sell my snowblower?" Oh, I, my initial reaction is absolutely not. But I, I need I need some more information, which is you know what state is your snowblower in? Uh, well, see, my answer is, and you should take ten dollars for it, and I will come meet you and pick it up because mine, <laughs> sadly enough. It's not running at the moment. <laughs> and though I only use it twice a year, maybe, uh, I like it to be fucking working. <laughs> and mine is not. So I mean, yeah, the, I'll buy it for 10 bucks. The, the weather's warmed up a little bit, but we did have about four feet of snow here in Watertown, New York. So 
Um, I would not have survived without my snowblower slash snow thrower. Uh, so, and when the, uh, when the belt got ripped, uh, it was, it was a very sad day in our household as we started pulling out the shovel. So, uh, absolutely do not sell your snowblower unless it's to the point where you're going to pick up another snowblower to replace the one that you're going to sell. That's yeah. I mean, if it's something you own, you you just have to, you have to have it. I mean, if it's already there, what's the point of getting rid of it? And if it's broke, fix it. All all right. All right. Wife. (laughs) Get off my back about it, all right? We're almost in March. I'll do it in July. I swear to God. <laughs> Fuck. He, he also asked and this question. Does Notre Dame one day lead to the dissolution of the NCAA? There's a lot in there to digest. But I think the general sense of the question, I think – the way college football, the path they've gone, they've gone down, is there seems to be a general consensus among some, most talking heads that there could come to a point where there's going to be a big separation, you know, within Division One, And I think maybe Jeff's implying that he got, you know, if, if they would just fall into line, everybody wants them to, and join a conference, maybe they could save, um, save what's going on. Uh, but you know, as it is, there don't you guys have any insight into that thoughts. I actually interpreted Jeff's question completely different, which is, I thought maybe he was, he was asking us if father Jenkins and, and Jack Swarbrick would make good on their promise to, uh, leave the NCAA and pursue an amateur, continue to pursue an amateur model. If, if the, if the players were treated like employees, um, I don't know. I mean, they sound serious. So I would say that yeah they would follow through and um and i would think that that would uh certainly uh maybe not cause the nca to uh not exist anymore but certainly change uh, a lot about what we know at what we what we see as the nca this these days so yeah i don't think notre dame on its own will ever lead to the dissolution of the ncaa but i think they'll be a major part of whatever coalition or group of power five schools or powerful people come together if and when they want to make that happen. I, I don't think you can not include Notre Dame. As much as fans want Notre Dame to be shunned and, and not part of this new group and not given privilege in this new group, I don't think that happens. Pat, you got anything yeah. on this? Uh, I mean, I, I really I agree with, with Brad, I think. I mean, I, I think Notre Dame's serious enough about it that they would join a group that branches off, but um, I don't think it'll be just Notre Dame alone that does anything. But more importantly, I didn't get to answer the snowblower question, so I'd like to oh, chime in. Please go back to that. Um, Jeff, sell your snowblower. <gasps> uh, shoveling driveways builds character. Some of us grew up shoveling driveways, and we turned out to be idiots on a podcast, a.k.a. me. Hey, you don't have so, a driveway right now, do you? Oh, I live in an apartment. I'm no. I, <laughs> <laughs> listen, this is this is a true story, Pat. Listen, listen to me, young mm. one. I looked back. All right, it was a couple of days ago. I had a Facebook memory pop up, right? And it was a post, just a, a simple post for me, saying, oh, "God, I wish I had it in front of me." Something to the effect of, "Here, y'all are fucking pussies. Ditch the fucking snowblower. Be a man. <laughs> shovel your shit." 
something to that effect. That might be like always been on. To which my uncles and and others were like, get. I mean, we're talking like this is like years ago. So I was what twenty two. So no, you don't fucking sell us. Listen, and that was when I snowblower and just didn't use it. My 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 in laws got. I like hit the jackpot. I got all my father in laws like tools and everything. I'm the one that get, ended up getting all the stuff. But it sat in my uh, in my barn for like two years. I never used it. And there was a moment where you're out there shoveling your driveway. When you have a driveway, you understand. And it was that just a heavy ass snow. And I had been up all night, hadn't had anything to sleep, had the kids, my wife's at work. And I got about halfway through the driveway and I literally thought I was having a heart attack. So, no, you do not sell your snowblower. Pat, what is wrong with you? If you have one, you keep it. I don't know. I just I think if he's asking, that means he doesn't need it. So sell it. If, he's, if he truly needs it, he wouldn't be asking the question. That's what I think. Hmm. I, I mean, think, it's, I think we should, I think we, if we are still doing a podcast in say five years, we should revisit this question and ask Pat what he thinks. Cause I, I think I, I hear what you're saying, Josh. I think maybe my opinion on this 10 years ago was a lot different than it is now. Now. I would, yeah. Because I, I grew make, up. So I would make I my garage a snowblower. So. Will there even be snow in five years? Oh my god, it's, it is a totally different podcast. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. <laughs> Do we really want to dive into class? All right. No, we don't. <laughs> that's, it's, it's too depressing. Uh, maybe Marshawn Lynch can, uh, we'll have him out as a guest in five years and he can talk about why we don't need snowblowers anymore. Uh, all right. One last question here from Twitter. Uh, and we'll finish this ridiculously long podcast up uh in your opinion who was the better mr conductor ringo Starr or george carlin now i'm going to answer this question first and pat you know what we're talking about here no i was about to say i feel stupid i don't know exactly what they're asking so i'm going to back out of this question (laughs) we are thomas the train nuts all right and I got two sons. Jude's got boys. We know our Thomas. All right. We know our fucking shit. So we will talk about Thomas a lot on the podcast, I imagine. But uh, there was, in the olden days, there was, it was like stop motion. Not really stop motion. It was like model. Uh, instead of a cartoon, it was, it was done with models. And it was fucking dope. It was really cool. And they had narrators. And one of them was Ringo Starr. And George Carlin, of all people, was a narrator for this children's show. But my answer is actually not even on that. It's Alec Baldwin was the best you narrator. You stole my fucking answer. I can't God believe damn it. right I did. Why wouldn't I? That, that, why would you not? Why would he not put Baldwin in there? That's the, he was the best one. It was great. It was great. Can we pause? Can we pause really quick? All those people were the narrator for Thomas the Train? Yeah. Why? <laughs> oh my god, are you, it's huge. That's amazing. Like, what a lineup. Sorry, yeah, go Ringo, ahead. Yeah, at one point it was Ringo's. I, I want to say Ringo was the first one, and then it rolled into. Ringo was the original, yeah. Yep. And then, then it went into Baldwin and then called it out. And then they went CGI, and it all changed from there. There was a good, like, half of a decade where the 
where the new Thomas stuff was dope. And then it started doing all this other evolutions in it. It's gotten a little weird now. But uh but yeah, you know that Baldwin that's, a, that's a topic for another podcast called yeah, yeah. Thomas and Me, the Josh and Dude podcast. Oh, we're, I swear to God, I'm going to smash do it. Classic Thomas. Got into his experimental phase and lost all of his original fans. They're on their, they're on their experimental phase. PBS. They went to Nickelodeon. They fucked all their toys around. So now they're all looking ridiculously stupid. No, it, they're in their experimental phase right now. For what? I mean, really, for what? <laughs> being very inclusive now. <laughs> it goes beyond. Listen, every Thomas movie used to introduce four or five new characters. I'm waiting and for the, the homeless train and the one that has AIDS and the one that has dyslexia. Oh, they, 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 they right now. You know what's coming. A homeless train? That was Hero. <laughs> I mean, he was fucking homeless. That, that, I mean, Thomas the Percy found a bum on the side of the tracks, and it turned out to be Hero. It was just some, some bum who... I'm not saying this is right. <laughs> it was a Japanese train that they just dropped off of the island, got lost, and everyone forgot about him. And Toby was and abandoned had... for a while, too, I think, right? Uh, that I can't say with any authority. Yeah. But, I mean, fucking Victor was tossed off of a ship, and that's, a, you know, that's another guy coming in from, as a foreigner. That's, that's how right. he gets. That's how foreigners get treated on soda. Or and they knock him in the, the water for, for months. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. He was. It wasn't like a quick rescue operation. That dude was down there. Now, what is he doing down there? Is he talking? He's not exactly drowning. He's just down there, just talk, like, hanging with the fishes. He's brackish water, oh, waiting, waiting for the right materials to come along to pull his ass out. It was crazy. It's amazing that he's not more edgy around Kevin. Because you know how fucked up he is going around with his crane. You would think that Victor would be a little more edgy, like around things, like moving fast, like behind him. Because last time he got stuck down at the bottom of the fucking ocean for, you know, two, three months. So I, I don't know if this podcast is going to end on a Thomas rant every week. I kind of <laughs> hope so. <clears throat> but uh, that's how we're going to end it there. <laughs> so thank you, everybody, for sticking. If you stuck it out this whole long, you deserve bonus points but again i'm joshua vol site manager uh one foot down thank you to pat sullivan for coming on brad wecker dude see more we had a blast and uh hey go irish irish <laughs>